Today's Sunday sermon has been made possible by the members of Southside Christian Fellowship Church and listeners like you. Thank you so much for your continued prayerful and financial support of this ministry. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and how to get involved, or simply want to give a gift, please just go to our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net today. We've been talking about being kingdom stewards. And this goes right along with it. And what the Lord's been laying out here for us is we first needed to understand that it's not our stuff, it's the Lord's. And we've got to have that attitude. We talked about tithes and offerings just a minute ago, and I grew up with the 1090 system. It's 10% God's and 90% mine. How many of you did that? Amen. As I've gotten older, the Lord's really revealing to me that as a kingdom steward, it's a 100-0 relationship. It's 100% his, zero mine. However, he lets me enjoy the things he's entrusted me with. So the house that I have, praise God, it's awesome, I love it, but it's really not mine, it's the Lord's. And I need to take care of it. And guess what? That also means that I need to be open to listening to him. If he asks me to let somebody stay over, I need to let him stay over. If he asks me to do anything with it, I need to be open to doing what he tells me to do because it's really his. And so we've gotten to that point. We've also talked about how, how the Lord blesses us through this concept of being stewards. But th- there also comes a side where it's not just do whatever you want to or do the best you can and, and get away with it. I mean, there is a covenant that we're a part of. And so today I want to talk to you about that covenant side of being a kingdom steward. In fact, I want you to understand that God's covenant goes deeper than just a contract. Now, I know I started talking about the political side of things, and I'm going to jump right into that here in just a minute. But I want to tell you that, that according to the dictionary, and I'm laying this out on purpose, and if you'll just bear with me, I promise that I'm going somewhere with this. Some of you may get there before others, but just hang in there. But I want to give you a worldly definition, and then I want to give you a biblical definition later on. But when you think of a covenant, according to the world, according to Webster's Dictionary, it's formal, it's solemn, it's a binding agreement, it's an alliance. All of those line up with the, with the Word of God, too. A covenant with the Lord is binding. We forget that sometimes. God never forgets his part of the agreement. But it's an alliance, When we enter into covenant with the Lord, we are entering into an alliance. And I don't know who you want on your team and on your side, but there is no greater person to have than God. There is no greater person to have than Jesus Christ. There is no greater person to have than the Holy Spirit. So that's what you're entering into. Be like going to the high school playground And whatever your favorite sport is, you pick the goat of that sport, the professional, not the high school goat, but but if it's football, you get to pick the best football player. If it's basketball, you get to pick the best basketball player, but you get to play against the other high school competition. It's just not going to work. They're not really going to be able to hold a candle because that person's at another level. And you know, it's interesting because we have debates about the greatest of all time. If you didn't know that's what goat stood for, G-O-A-T is greatest of all time. And what's amazing to me is it says greatest of all time, and yet they'll list five or six people. Look, I'm not great at English. Language arts was not my first subject, but I'm pretty sure when you say greatest, that's singular. But they have debates all the time. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? When you talk about God's people, life, it's a no-brainer. It's simple. It's God. God is the greatest of all time. He's the greatest leader. He's the greatest individual. He's the greatest God. He's the greatest. 
of all time. Nobody else is in the discussion. And by entering into a covenant, into an agreement, you're entering into an alliance with the greatest of all time. You know, in America, we have a constitution. And I don't know about other countries. I wasn't a real history major either. Math, that's where my, my comfortable spot is. But, but, you know, I'm sure other countries have something like the Constitution. But growing up in America, I understand at least what the Constitution is supposed to be. And it governs us. It guides us. It defines who we are as citizens and as a nation. And you're talking about politics. That's what politicians are constantly doing is trying to represent the people, supposed to be representing the people. I understand, theoretically, and and adopting laws and different things of that nature that are best for our country. You know, there are things you can do in America that you cannot do in other countries. So if you, you talk about being an American, it carries some information with it. It defines who we are as a nation and as citizens. It provides that structure within which we function. We might not like all of the rules. We may not like everything that's in the Constitution. We may debate about it. We may have arguments about it. But we're still held by it and bound by it. You know? I'm going to get into some of the differences with God's covenant in a minute, and that's where some of you may be ahead of me. But let me just lay this foundation, if you will. The only requirement to gain access to all of the rights, privileges, and supposed, sorry, protections... You'll get that in a minute. Is to be a citizen, whether you're born here or you're naturalized, and you go through a process. Okay? We all understand that there's some immigration issues and that people enter this country and they don't go through the proper channels, and we call them, I believe we still call them illegal immigrants. The reason that term is important is because uh, under our system, they don't have the same rights and protections. It's one of the reasons they stay under the radar and try not to be found out. They're trying to have a better life for their family as well. But because they haven't gone about it the proper way or the way that our country has said you're supposed to go about it, they don't have the same rights that that, uh, an American citizen does. But do you know that to be a citizen here, it does not matter where you were born. It doesn't matter your background, your race, your culture, your class, your gender. None of that goes into the equation. That's an important point. It's an important point as you think about the covenant we have with God that I'll lay out in just a minute. But citizenship grants you full rights, privileges, and protections as outlined in the Constitution. And in my notes and parentheses, I put theoretically. Because that's one of the things that's happening right now. We weren't around when the quote-unquote founding fathers wrote the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. So we have to try to interpret it. Sound familiar? A lot of theologians. A lot of people trying to determine what the Bible really says. What it means. How do we apply it to our lives. A lot of similarities that I've laid out already in the U.S. Constitution and how it functions, and how we as Christians function. But let's go there, because that is the main thing. Actually, I want to lay out one more piece for you before I go into uh, God's covenant, because this is, this is man's covenant, right? Man has made this covenant up. Man has made this agreement up. And it said, if you're going to be a citizen of America, this is what we require. I don't know if you guys remember growing up, but every day we would say the Pledge of Allegiance. 
say the Pledge of Allegiance. We repeated it every day at school. And it's supposed to serve as a reminder of our allegiance to this nation, to this covenant. Now, again, I don't want to get into all the politics that go behind the Pledge of Allegiance. I want you to understand something that's in your life that you have experience with so that you can apply it to the things of God, which is why I bring it up. But we've all had experiences with repeating the Pledge of Allegiance. And as Dad said today, there's a lot of us that repeat things like, I'm a Christian, but don't really understand what we're saying. They don't really understand the value behind that. You know, for those of you that have served in the military, I guarantee you that Pledge of Allegiance means a whole lot more to those of us that did not. It's not because I don't care about this country. It's not because I don't love this country. But you men and women put your life on the line. You said, I will do whatever is necessary to protect the freedoms of this country. I will go to battle and I will die if necessary. That is not a commitment that I made. I was able to avoid that. And I appreciate respect our men and women of the military because of that very nature. Because I didn't have to go do that. I got to go do what I wanted to do. I got to go play baseball and go to college and experience the freedoms that are afforded me. So it's no wonder that people get irritated when we have discussions online and in TV and in person with our neighbors about the things of this country that we like and don't like. It's why if even something we say insults that pledge or that flag or this nation, that's why we get people that are frustrated and up in arms, right? Because there's a different level of the commitment. There's a different level of understanding for that Pledge of Allegiance. I taught school for 15 years. By the time I was done, I had, I had moms and dads that would write notes to say that, that they didn't want their kids saying the Pledge of Allegiance. And that was their right. They had to write in, had to put it in writing to do that. Okay? I, when I was growing up, that didn't, wasn't even a thing. You just, everybody got up and you said the Pledge of Allegiance. But I can't honestly say that we understood what we were saying. What does this have to do with kingdom stewardship? Because as a kingdom steward, you need to understand who you are, who you represent, and who you serve. You need to understand that the things you're pledging are not just hollow words, but they mean something. And just like we have men and women that have died in service for this country, Jesus himself put his life on the line for you and for me, and he died and rose again so that you and I can have the freedoms as a Christian that we have. It means something to him, and it should mean something to us. It's more important than just a contract. If you go into a contract with somebody, whether you're purchasing a house or anything else, and somebody violates the terms of that contract, you can get that voided. You can sue people. You can have monetary exchanges. There's a process for that. We're not talking about a simple piece of paper that you go into court and, and argue your side against the Lord God Almighty. There will be a day of judgment. And that's what we're relating to that courtroom where we will give an account of our actions. But I got news for you. It's lopsided because the Lord's word always wins over ours. There is no justification. There is no um, plea that you can make once that day happens. See, that's the thing that as Christians we have to begin to understand. It's God's way or no way. As a kingdom steward, you are recognizing that it's God's way or no way. That's what we're talking about. We're going deeper than just a paper that we sign. We're going deeper than just saying I'm a Christian. 
In fact, you ought to be so deep with the Lord that nobody has to ask you if you're a Christian. They ought to be able to see based on your actions that you are a Christian. They ought to be able to tell by what you do in your community and with your neighborhood and with your job whether you're a Christian or not. What did we talk about last week? It's not about those who talk by faith, but those that walk by faith. When you enter into covenant with God, that's what you're entering into covenant for. See, that's why I don't believe in hellfire insurance the way that it was preached when I was growing up. Yes, if you were saved, the Bible talks about you not going to hell. But if that's your only motivation, then you don't understand the covenant that God wants to make with you. Salvation is not even the main focus. Discipleship is. He said go into all the world teaching, preaching, right in my name, making disciples. Salvation is just the first part. When we talk about tithes and offerings, tithes is just that first level. If that's all you're getting to, God wants you to go deeper. Here we go again with a preacher, just wanting my money. Don't give it to me then. I don't care. That's not what I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to do my job as the pastor of this church to teach you, to help you understand what the Word of God says. And I'm telling you, he's called us all to enter into a covenant that's more binding than just a piece of paper that says, I am a steward of God's kingdom, which means that it's not my money. And if he wants me to give it all away, it's not my money I'm giving away. Because the other part of that is you need to be listening to where he wants you to give it. But don't just think about money. Think about your life. When's the last time you said, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Now, I wish I could split myself here so I could sit there and listen because I'm guilty of this as well. So I'm not just preaching something I read in a book, but something I experienced as well. But there are many days I've already got plans. I've already laid it out. I got the outline of what I'm going to do that day. And then I get up and say, Lord, bless what I'm about to do today. See, God's trying to just get in that mindset that reverses that. Lord, what are we doing today? Lord, where are you sending me today? Lord, how do you want me to use the talents that you've given me today? Lord God, how do you want to use the time that you've given me today, Lord God? What do you want me to do with the treasures that you've entrusted to me, Lord? So we talk about his kingdom come and his will be done. Notice none of that says whatever Herman wants to do and whatever Herman wants to accumulate. And when we get that mindset, that's the same thing I'm trying to lay out to you today. That's the same mindset that you have to apply to the covenant, the agreement that you've entered into. You didn't just say, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life so that I can avoid hell. That is not the agreement that you're entering into. You're saying that I want you, God, to be Lord of my life. Not a part-time God. There's a saying I heard that says, don't be a part-time Christian demanding a full-time God. I said, man, unfortunately, I've been guilty of that. I've been a part-time Christian sometimes demanding a full-time God, looking for that genie in the bottle or that vending machine God where I can just put in my money, my prayer for the day, or put in my offering or my tithes and say, Lord, that's just a down payment. Lord, now let me tell you what I need you to do for me. That can't be our reasoning for giving. <laughs> Tammy and I took some people out to 
breakfast the other day, and I had all intentions of using the church card. That was what it was set up for. We were blessing them. We we're going to pay for breakfast. I'm in such a habit of grabbing my own card because I got that church card tucked away so far. I don't remember it's there on purpose, so I don't accidentally grab it. That out of habit, I grabbed my own card and paid for it before I realized what I was doing. I realized, oh, you know, I don't know that I had that money set aside in the budget for that breakfast right there. Because I don't know if y'all know, but breakfast is not cheap anymore. I used to love breakfast time because it was cheap. It is not cheap anymore. So that bill, it moved on up there a little bit. And I talked to Tammy and I said, you know, I can submit the receipt for reimbursement. But I can honestly say that this is where the Lord's trying to get me to. Where I stopped for a minute and I said, you know what, let's ask the Lord what he wants to do. Because if he wants us just to use that out of our, our pocket, out of our bank account, then he'll take care of it. And in this particular instance, that's what we felt like. Now, I wish I could tell you that I haven't had any moments of stress about that. But I want to be honest with you, and the reality is I have some stress about that kind of stuff. So I've moved into the, to the category of I'm, I'm giving when the Lord tells me to, but I'm wanting to get to that category where I don't even think about it anymore. I, I hadn't moved over here yet. I, I'm still over here going, all right, Lord, I'm going to give it. But, man, do you see my bank account right there? That thing is dwindling down, Lord. And it never fails. That's about the time the kids start calling, Dad, Dad, we're short on rent. Can you help us out just a little bit? <sighs> just, just a little loan. I don't know about y'all loaning money to your kids, but I don't ever seem to get the same rate of return on the money I loaned out to my children. <sighs> my father is enjoying the fact that it's come full circle now. And I'm no longer necessarily asking him for the money, but hold on, you never know. <laughs> and then your other son calls up and he says, Dad, the check engine light's on on the car. <sighs> I mean, to tell you, it'll challenge that faith sometimes. Maybe it's just me. But when we're talking about being kingdom stewards, if we'll just say, Lord, tell me what I'm supposed to do here. You want me to give this? I'll give it, and I'll just trust you to take care of it. I will trust you to take care of it. So let me get back on track here just a little bit because we're talking about covenant. But that's a great thing if we'll get that mindset of being stewards instead of the owners because I must tell you that I, I, I concern myself with the things of the church here specifically more so than I ever did before I was pastor. Because I know I'm the head of the church. So I think about things morning, noon, night, dream about it. Is it good enough, Lord? I stress about it. And the Lord's working on me with that. You know, when we're the owner, we start stressing over all this stuff. But before I took over as pastor, I didn't have any problems like that. Daddy come ask me to do something, I say, no problem, we'll get it done. I wasn't thinking about the service and the structure and, and worship and what are the songs and, and all these things that go along with the service. Everything you see that happens in the service, somebody's in charge of, somebody's orchestrating. And we try to follow the Lord in every area there, but it still needs to be done. The Lord has told us we need a few things in every service. He wants us to have worship. I'm talking about Southside specific. I'm not in charge of other churches. He wants us to have worship. He wants us to have word, and he wants us to have ministry opportunities. And he's told me in certain terms, as long as we have those three things in every service, then he's pleased with us. But each of those takes some time to seek the Lord and ask him. The songs that we sang this morning and we listened to this morning and we worshiped to this morning, we didn't just randomly pick them. We prayed about them. We asked the Lord. 
We put them in the lineup. That takes time. But then the other side of that is, as I ask the Lord, Lord, what about this song? Let me just give you another example. I promise I'm getting back to more of the covenant stuff, but this is part of the covenant. That, that holy song, Oh Holy, I think is the name of it. We, we, we had that one right before throne room. I started to second guess myself. I asked Tammy her opinion. Her opinion is, that's all right. <laughs> well, that's the woman I love. Her opinion matters to me. I started second guessing it. And the Lord quickly stopped me and he said, look, we've talked about this before. He said, even with your wife, it's not about pleasing her, it's about pleasing me. So you're right, Lord, and I quit thinking about it. I didn't worry about it. I, didn't, I did not give it another second. You know, when you're in that position, you've prayed about it, and you can let it be. It doesn't matter if everybody else understands it. The first month that I took over as pastor, the Lord had told me in my prayer time three or four months before that that first month was to be dedicated to nothing but prayer. Listen to me, nothing but prayer and worship. That means no preaching. I'm not sure how many of you guys have gone to the ministry, but typically if you go into the ministry as a pastor, people are looking for a sermon from you every once in a while. And to start out that first month with not the first sermon could give pause for some stress in the pastor's life. And when I heard him tell me that, it did not bother me. I was at tremendous peace about it. I understood what he was telling me. It was only when I started to share with people, and they didn't understand, and they'd never seen that before or done that before, and they began to ask really good questions that I could not answer. And then I started to doubt. Then I started to worry. But thankfully... One of our elders who I brought it up to said, well, you know, let's say you did miss the Lord and we have a whole month of prayer and worship. Oops. I think it'll be okay. And I thought, you're right, and I didn't worry about it anymore. Well, those of you that were here know that some amazing things transpired and God set the stage for everything that happened that year, and it was an amazing year. Well, as we enter into covenant with the Lord, that's what we're saying. Our part is to trust him. Because we have a part in that covenant, and he has a part in that covenant. Our part is to be stewards, to be submitted to him, to have a relationship with him so that we know what he's, he's asking us to do. So that we build faith so that we can carry out what he's asked us to do, and we won't fade when we come against pressure, when we come against people that don't understand because God's going to give you a vision for what he wants done in your life just like he gives a vision to me of what he wants done in my life. And I may not understand what God's told you to do. That's why you have to be secure in your relationship with the Lord. That's why you have to walk in a deeper covenant with the Lord than just something on paper that says, hey, I do know you, Lord. I do accept you. I'm going to heaven. That's not deep enough. That's not deep enough. God didn't just lay out the case. He sent his son to die. That's commitment. That's deeper than a paper. So God's covenant is deeper than just a contract. So let's get into God's kingdom covenant here. I've laid out some of the case for an example you can relate to in the United States Constitution, and that being a covenant. But let's look at God's covenant. First of all, when you think about the meaning of a spiritual covenant with God, this is what you should be thinking about. It's a divinely created relational bond. Divinely created relational bond a divinely authorized spiritual structure through which God reveals himself. 
That's the covenant. What we're seeking to do here at Southside is become passionate pursuers of God so that we line up with what Jesus said was the first and greatest commandment, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. So that when we enter into that covenant, it's not just on paper. But it's a passionate pursuit of knowing Him better. Because the more we understand Him, the more we're going to understand that covenant that He's made with us, and the more impact we're going to have on this world, and the more we're going to see His kingdom come and His will be done. That's what we're talking about with covenant. Just like with the U.S. Constitution, it defines who we are as citizens and as a holy nation. God's covenant defines that. Let's take a look at some scripture. I've laid a lot of information out with no scriptures yet. We are about to get into some scriptures here. Let's look at Exodus 19, 5, and the first part of verse 6. Come on, you want to help me preach? I love it. I sent a video to all the elders. I think he was 12 years old. He was bringing it. It was very biblical. Nope. Okay, maybe later. Maybe later, Price. <laughs> Amen. Exodus 19, 5 and 6 says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But that's the Old Testament, Herman. Okay. Well, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Let me back up just a little bit there. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people. My favorite saying of all time comes from VeggieTales. God made you special and he loves you very much. And I say it everywhere I can because I believe it. And that's what it says right here. His own special people. God made you special. Amen. <laughs> Why did he make you special? It says, read with me, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. How are you going to proclaim his praises if you don't know him? And I'm not talking about you want to know him so you've said, Lord, be the savior of my life. Lord, I give my life to you. You still don't know him. See, that word know is an intimate term when they wrote it in the Bible. When you think of marriage and relation for a husband and a wife to know each other. See, before Tammy and I got married, okay, we were learning about each other. I mean to be careful my words here as I've laid the case for that word no now. We were learning about each other, but I didn't really know her. I didn't understand her. I didn't, I didn't, see, I've set myself up for failure here now. Pause for a minute for the understanding and definition for biblical no, okay? I didn't know about her. I didn't know anything she liked, didn't like. We had to build that relationship. But there was another level to that. When we got married, then we were able to intimately know each other. See, just confessing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's almost like that first date. I mean, you're just starting to learn about him. you got to go deeper. That's what discipleship is about. 
That's part of that covenant that we're talking about. How are you going to know what God likes and doesn't like if you don't get to know him? How are you going to know you were supposed to give more than just tithes or even what the definition of tithes are? See, I'm going to tell you, let me put this plug in real quick. Too many of us are fighting over a definition of tithes instead of just saying, Lord, it's your money. What do you want me to do with it? We're arguing over whether tithes are biblical. You can say what you want to say. Don't tithe. That's between you and the Lord. But you better understand something further than that. It's not yours. So if you start using that money that he's entrusted you with for the things he doesn't want you to use it for, you can bet, like the parable of talents, he's going to stop giving it to you. Because you have to be trustworthy with what he's blessed you with before he's going to give you more. Here's the catch 22. You can't want to get more just for yourself. It can't be, let me do this so the Lord can trust me so I can get more, so I can enjoy more. That's not the right heart condition. It's saying, Lord, I'll I'll use whatever you're giving me. It doesn't matter how much, what it is, where it is. See, See, it doesn't matter the size. See, we need to stop being jealous of what somebody else has, and those people with a lot of stuff need to stop being selfish. Now, I didn't point anybody out, so if you're feeling a little conviction over that, maybe take it up with the Lord. I'm just saying. I'm not preaching you shouldn't have a mansion. I'm not preaching you shouldn't have hundreds of thousands of acres of land. I'm not preaching that you shouldn't have millions and millions of dollars. What I'm saying is that when we enter into a covenant with God, we realize that no matter what he gives us, whether it's $100, a million dollars, a billion dollars or more, that it's just given to us to manage. And the better we manage, the more trustworthy we're going to be and the more God can use us. The other side of that is to stop thinking that just because you have $100 or $1,000 that you're not doing something right. God doesn't need a billion billionaires. God needs that testimony that says, I didn't have anything. I grew up in a broken home. I grew up not knowing about Jesus, but let me tell you where I am now. Let me tell you what God's done in my life. You see, my testimony is a great testimony, but I guarantee you that the person that came out of a rough situation ministers even more to people in the same situation. And our world is filled with people in that situation. There's not enough people that are filled with the situation I had growing up. But you see, I've got my own problems and things to deal with. And God needs me, and the testimony he gave me, he needs to help people, just like those of you that grew up in muck and mire and bad homes and rough situations God needs you to minister as well. we got to quit comparing. That's part of that covenant. It's not about, God, I got this much, but so-and-so has so much more. What do I got to do to get that, Lord? That's not the covenant. It doesn't matter. You know, we get people to call all the time for rent assistance. And we, we, we help where we can, but... For a church our size, rent eats us up pretty quick. So what we've decided to do and what we've prayed about is that we will help people find ministries and their other avenues that people can get some rent assistance. And so we make sure to give them that information. But but we, we give tents and sleeping bags. And it's not uncommon for people to kind of get upset with us about that. And we had a lady call not too long ago, said, uh, do y'all do rent assistance? I said, man, we're really not set up for that. 
said, well, what do y'all do to help? I said, well, we're set up to make sure you got some food. If you need some food, we'll get that. If you need some clothing, we got a way to get some clothing. If you need shelter, then we have tents and sleeping bags. And that lady said, what's a tent and a sleeping bag going to do for me? I said, well, ma'am, I mean, worst case scenario, to keep you out of the elements, it'll at least keep you dry. I get that it's not the most comfortable situation. I mean, I had another gentleman that came in here, wanted some help with, with, an, um, with a hotel. Well, what we've learned is we can help out with a hotel, and that'll help you for one night. I can't pay for that hotel every night, nor do I think I'm supposed to pay for that hotel every night. So we'll offer a tent and a sleeping bag, and we have many people that are grateful and take us up on that offer. Because the goal is not for people to be stuck in that situation, and if they'll allow us, we'll walk with them. It's to help them get up out of that situation, but that's where they have to start sometimes. But I had a young man one time come and ask me. He wanted some help with the hotel. I said, sir, we just don't do that. I tell you what I can give you is a, a sleeping bag and a tent. He said, man, I can't do that. I said, I understood, and he just sat there, because I guess in a lot of situations, if you just sit there and wait, somebody will cave, they'll bend. But I'm going to tell you something I've grown a lot over the last three years. Like Daddy said, I've got a little thicker skin. I just try to make sure I'm hearing what the Lord says, and I don't bend to people pressure. I want to bend to God pressure. I don't want to bend to people pressure anymore. Well, I, I got in there in this particular situation, because I've been through a lot of challenges and learning lessons over the last three years. And that gentleman just sat there and kind of stared at me. He said, you, you want to help out with the hotel? I said, no, man, I, listen, I, got, I tell you, I help out with a sleeping bag and a tent. He said, that just ain't going to work. I said, okay. And I stood up. I walked him to the door. I said, well, let me pray with you. And, I, you know, come back if you change your mind. And I prayed for him, and I meant it sincerely, but he wasn't ready. He wanted things his way. See, my job was not to do everything for him. See, people think it's the church's job to help become a support network by providing everything rather than you doing something to help yourself. And we are supposed to walk with one another. We are supposed to walk with one another. But you know, sometimes we got to go through something to get some knowledge and to get up out of a situation. Sometimes we're just not ready. My brother one day is going to testify. I know he is at this church. My middle brother's been through some stuff. And some of that's been self-inflicted. A good bit of it's been self-inflicted. And it wasn't because my mom and dad or myself and wife didn't have the means to help him out. But the Lord told us, knowing certain terms, what we could do for him and what we couldn't do for him because he needed to learn some lessons. He needed to get to the point where he became dependent upon the Lord and not anybody else, including the church. And sometimes we can delay that. Well, how do I know if I'm supposed to give or not give? You have to have a relationship with God. You have to have a relationship with God. Well, what if I give and God didn't want me to? It's okay. You're not ever going to get in trouble for giving. God's never going to go, I can't believe you gave. That is ridiculous. You will never get in trouble for that, okay? But begin to hear the Lord. Begin to trust the Lord. Begin to have that conversation. How does that apply to covenant, Herman? That is covenant. Covenant is relationship. Let me do a couple more comparisons here to bring this home if I could. The only requirement to access all the rights outlined in God's covenant, right, are to be a citizen of heaven. Now, unlike America, you can't be born into citizenship. Everybody has to go through the same process. 
Everybody's got to go through the same process. We got to go to where we trust the Lord, where we give our lives to the Lord. Let me read you a few verses that go along with this. Acts 16, 30 and 31 say, And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. May I tell you that there's a difference like Dad laid out today from wearing the T-shirt and actually believing. There are many people that will recite a prayer, that will repeat after you. But that's why Paul said that you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Because I can help anybody in here confess Jesus as Lord. But I cannot help you believe. Only you can believe. That's how you become a citizen of heaven. John 3, 5 and 6 says, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. When we were born into this world, we were born of water. You're here, you're listening to me, you're breathing, you've already had that birth. Okay? You're not being born again that way. Jesus said you got to be born of the Spirit. When we talk about believe, that's what we're talking about. It's of the Spirit. And then one of the most famous Bible verses in all of the land, Christians and non-Christians alike, see it, know it, and quote it. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, say whoever. whoever. Tell your neighbor, whoever, whoever. Believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That is how you enter into the covenant with God. That is how you become a citizen of heaven. Why is that important for me to know today, Pastor Herman? I already know that. I am a citizen of heaven. What I tell you, salvation is just the foundation. You have to be discipled, and you have to be able to disciple others. Part of that covenant with God is understanding how to share God's word with other people. So you need to truly understand what it means to be saved. And if your answer that it keeps me from going to hell, you don't understand salvation yet. Doesn't mean you don't want to. Doesn't mean you're not sincere in your desire. It means you have to understand that it goes way beyond hellfire insurance. It goes into a relationship. And just like with the U.S. Constitution, you know that background, race, class, gender, and culture do not matter. It doesn't matter. I like that background word there. Too many people think that they got to get their lives in order before they can get saved. Man, is that the biggest lie from the enemy or what? I can guarantee you'll never get your life in order until you get saved. Never. Galatians 3, 26 through 29 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That heirs word is so important. God said, you have a share of my kingdom, and it does not matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter how you were born in the flesh. All that matters is if your heart believes in the Lord.
Lord God Almighty and has entered into that covenant relationship with God Almighty. It reminds me of that song, Jesus Loves the Little Children of the World. We used to sing that all the time. Unfortunately, our world has sang that song and just liked it for a song and didn't really understand the words to it. But it's true, Jesus loves all the children of the world. And aren't we supposed to come to God as children? You know, the coolest part about being a kid was I, I, I didn't know things about the world that were troublesome. I just had friends. We just played with friends. I didn't think about how they were different than me other than just curiosity questions like, oh, that's neat. You, you look like this or you sound like this or you have this toy or that toy. It was just, we were just friends. We were kids. It wasn't until other people started trying to influence me and tell me this was right or wrong or this person was good or bad or any of that kind of stuff, right? As children, we just, we just went for it. Our parents said, go play with so-and-so, and we went and played. We went and played. We didn't put any credentials on it. We didn't ask for any background knowledge. Kids knew how to play together. That's what we got to be and understand. That's what Jesus is saying, man. Come to him. It don't matter who you are. It don't matter what your background is. Let me make this point here. Citizenship grants you full rights, privileges, and protections as outlined in the covenant. Let me say that again. Citizenship grants you full rights, privileges, and protections as outlined in the covenant. And let me tell you something. God is not confused about what those protections are. Unlike some of the misunderstandings we seem to have in our own country about some of these things, God doesn't. But you see, we have some of the same issues because there are theologians, there are scholars, as I do air quotes, that are trying to interpret that covenant for you and for me. Just like we see going on in our own country where, where Supreme Courts and, and other judges and people are trying to interpret what somebody wrote so long ago. Wouldn't it be so much simpler if we were actually right by the founding fathers to say, what did you mean when you wrote this? Fill me in. Help me out. Well, you see, that's what we're doing as Christians, too. We're trying to interpret the Bible without going to the source. But I'm telling you, if you will spend time with the Lord, if you'll get in your prayer closet, if you just sit there, if you will listen for him, he will speak to you. He will clarify the scriptures. He will help you with that, with the covenant. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus broke it down very simply because he said, I don't want there to be any confusion. I don't want there to be any issues. You see, the Old Testament means old covenant. New Testament means new covenant. And sometimes we see them as totally separate. But Jesus cleared every bit of this up. I'm closing in a second. I think that's my second, right? I get one more? Okay. All right. I don't know. We're smelling the chili. You know, Old Testament, New Testament reads kind of like an amendment, right? We go back and we amend our Constitution. So Jesus said things like, you've heard that it's not good to commit adultery, but I tell you, if you lust after a woman, right? He, he amended it. He said, look, if your heart's even in that place right there, you're not where you're supposed to be. But Matthew 5, 17, 18 clears up this old and new covenant. It says, do not presume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away. I don't know about you, but I haven't seen heaven and earth pass away yet. It says, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Uh-oh. You mean that Old Testament is just as important as that New Testament? I sure do. 
You know how many commandments were in the, the Jewish commandments in, in the Old Testament? You know I mean, there were just one guess. Some of you do know. Yeah, 613 is what I came up with. Um, my research says 613. I got to be honest with you, and I'm going to wrap myself out a little bit. I sat over there, and Dad said, hey, don't forget to recognize Franco. I said, yes, sir. I brought Tammy up, did that, sat down. Daddy leaned over. He said, hey, don't forget to recognize Franco. I said, oh, man, I'm glad you reminded me of that. Man, we're talking 30 seconds, a minute. I'd already forgotten right there. You think I'm going to remember 613 commandments? I'm not 100% sure I can quote all 10 of them to you that Moses wrote down. Because my message is not that you're bound by the old covenant. But I don't want you to throw the old covenant out either. I don't want you to get rid of it and think that there's no value in it. See, Jesus simplified it for us. I got two more scriptures for you. Matthew 22, 37 through 40 is what this church is built off of. When we talk about becoming passionate pursuers of God, this is what we should be thinking about every single time. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Say all. Tell your neighbor all. All 613 laws. Every law you can come up with and see. All of them hang on those two right there. Jesus said, don't complicate it. The first thing you need to do is love me with all your heart, mind, and soul. And if you will love your neighbors yourself, then I guarantee you all of those commands will be taken care of. That's pretty simple. So that's what we're talking about with this new covenant. With grace. We don't have to go to the altar and make all these sacrifices like they did in the Old, Old Testament, right? Jesus was the final sacrifice. But yet when he talks about provisions and protections and honoring the Lord your God, those are still as applicable today as they were in the Old Testament. Because you see, before even the Old Testament was written, there was still a covenant. God made, an, a, covenant, made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham didn't read that covenant in some Bible. Because God made it with him that he would be the father of many nations. So whether you have the written word with you, you have no excuse. You've got to build that relationship. Because I'm going to tell you, Moses understood what God wanted, and yet he didn't have the New Testament with him. Abraham understood what God wanted. He didn't have the whole Bible with him. You and I have extra resources, but that Bible is nothing without the relationship with the author. When you talk about entering into a covenant, that's what we're talking about right there. You want to talk about a pledge of allegiance? As kingdom stewards, we should pledge our allegiance daily to God's covenant. What did Jesus tell us in the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we would get up every morning and just repeat that, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done, that would remind us that it's not our kingdom and not our will. You want to pledge allegiance, say that every day. God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Stand to your feet. I'll I'll bring this to a close. I want to leave you with this thought here. I've said it many times. 
But I just want to summarize with this thought right here. God's covenant is not just legal and binding. It's relational. It goes deeper than a contract. So this is my challenge to you today. If you're not in relationship with God, today's the day to be in relationship with him. If you have flipped that relationship and you now sit on top of the relationship instead of God sitting on top of the relationship, because remember that first commandment was to love him. You can't say, well, Lord, I was helping so-and-so out. He was very clear. Loving him is first and most important. Then we move to our neighbors and love them as ourselves. I want to encourage you today. Go back to understand the covenant that you've made with God. And see the promises that he laid out for his side of the covenant as well. Because I guarantee you, he is going to fulfill his part of the covenant. The question is, will you fulfill your part of the covenant? You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church. A place where you are loved, accepted, and received. A place of healing. A place of prayer. A place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.